0: Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All righty then, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Privacy, Please. I'm your co-host, Cameron Ivy, hanging out with my other co-host, Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing? It's Monday.
1: It's Monday. It's Monday. How are you? How are you?
0: I'm well, I, I am not going to lie. I lied awake at 1 AM last night because of this time change. It messed me up big time. I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't go to sleep. Ah, You,
1: you got to burn up the, you got to burn up some more jet fuel. And then you'll, (laughs) you'll learn the joys and pains of not being affected by time zones any longer. It is both a pleasure and an absolute torture. to not genuinely really know where you might be at any given moment. Um, yeah. But it is Monday. It is. Uh, we got a great show for the guests today. It, it is unfortunately Monday, March thirteenth, which means I know for a number of folks listening at, on uh, or listening certainly, but those that have been past guests on the show as well, um, heavily in the startup space, and and there was a lot of there was a lot of turmoil in the startup space this weekend as Silicon Valley Bank went uh, became insolvent. So you know, first, we just want to say you know. From us at the show to all our friends out there in startup land, um, we're here to support you ha- however we can, and uh, and hopefully we can all see our way through this. It's it's kind of a shitty thing. Um, yeah. But we have we have speaking of startup, we've got some folks from another startup uh, about to join us, um, Gary and Aaron from Ananos, uh, some more of those folks in the privacy space. So why don't we let we go ahead and uh,
0: let's, let's go bring them in, take a look, guys. Yeah. Yeah, we we got Aaron here. Let's bring him in.
1: There he is. me. How's it going, Aaron? I'm
2: good. How are you? Good,
1: Good, man. Welcome to the show.
0: Uh, Is Gary on? I don't see him. I don't see him in the... uh...
1: I think it's just us chickens at the moment, and the audience, that is. He sent me a screenshot saying that he was waiting for the host to accept.
0: Um, Um, Let's see. Let's see.
1: Is he he starting this this, this, this out by calling us... uh... Oh, there he is. (laughs) There we go. He was...
0: He was hiding. Gary, you were hiding, man. I didn't see her. See, for some reason, Aaron's name was popping up, but I had to go deep down into Riverside's vault to find Mr. Gary.
1: (laughs) I was hiding. Well, gentlemen, afternoon. Happy Monday. Uh, Before before we... We, we let you in the studio. We were actually just very briefly discussing um, some of the events over the past 72 hours as it pertained to, to SVP, Silicon Valley Bank, largely because there's just so many folks that are in our listening pool and as well as past guests that are in the in the startup world, yourselves included. So um, I don't know if there's anything that you guys wanted to touch on in the show. I just bring that up to know that it's an open platform. Um, we are very excited to have you on the show. We want to talk to you about the the, the problems that you're out there solving But no, as always, as our friends at Privacy please, we don't really put a whole lot of gates on the conversations, and those things are topical. So if they are – if they're relevant to you, they're relevant to us.
3: Um, I I don't – I mean, I'm happy to talk about it amongst us, but I don't think it's anything that we have any particular expertise that I'd want us to be on the record on for that. Um, I am not going to disagree with you there. (laughs) The reality is it was a snowball effect that hasn't yet stopped, right? So – Very quickly, right? You have at least three stakeholders in a bank. You have the people whose money is deposited there. You have the money people who have credit or loans from them. And then you have the stockholders of the banks. Um, All three can lose, right? If a bank truly fails, the stockholders have zip, the people that had loans have nothing, and the people who had their money on deposit have nothing. Um, And so, It sucks for all three stakeholder groups. I think if you talk about your audience, they're probably mostly in the group that got some kind of loan from SVB and therefore had to keep all their money there. Right. And so that is not real fun because where's your money? Right. If if you only get the first 250. So I think the federal the federal government coming in and saying, look, we're going to backstop everything over 250 is really important, but it hasn't stopped yeah. So, you know, you've got other banks whose market cap is down, you know, three quarters of a percent. Now, right. market cap is not the same as liquidity, but it's not a good it's not a good sign. And so um, I do think I think we're going to make it through it. This is not the look in the, in the mid late six eighties. Excuse me. I'm not that old. In the mid late 80s, a similar situation came about. And the government has to do what they have to do. Your two options are the government comes in and they guarantee all the money. Hmm. Who loses? The stockholders of the bank have nothing. People who had credit with the bank may have nothing, but the people whose deposits were there get their money back. That's the most critical. Um, The other option, which has happened in the past, is the federal government finds a buyer for the failing bank. That actually is more painful for the people whose money they can't get a hold of because it takes longer. So it's better for the stockholders of the bank. It's better for the people who had credit with the bank. But if you're just worried about the cash you had on deposit, it, it's actually less attractive. So I would say the situation sucks. But the way the federal government is going about it
1: uh, makes sense. Right on. I think I've heard the same sentiment from others around the table. But we're here to talk about things you are otherwise qualified <laughs> to go into record for. Um, <laughs> So why don't we Cameron, why don't we start with the same question we do every show, yes? Mm-hmm. Tell us about yourself, Gary.
3: Um well I thought this was about
1: me and my friend here. So I want to make sure well, Aaron gets to I was about him. I was going to I was going to lend the same question to Aaron next. If you would like to jointly tell us about yourselves, yeah. I am equally okay with that. Well you and- know it's gonna be more humorous
3: is have Aaron tell you about me.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah! I love this. And I'll show you, will you, you about Aaron. It. Let's go. I like Aaron, it. Wow. I like it. Tell me about Gary, sir.
2: So Gary is one of those really interesting uh, anomalies in this world that has a, an incredible knowledge in engineering and law. Right. So you say um, so there are there are there are precious few people that that have the 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 privacy knowledge and the and the as far as the legal knowledge and then the engineering information chops behind them so that when people start throwing out acronyms he actually understands what they're talking about on both sides of that conversation which is fascinating to me because i barely can keep up with one side um He is uh, the co-CEO of, uh, of Ananos. They have been screaming from the mountaintops for the past almost 12 years, 11 years, on the importance of uh, pseudonymization, anonymization, and now synthetic data. Um, and he lives in Colorado um, and has uh, a very interesting uh, w- naming convention for his cats. <laughs> Yep. Yep. So we could ask about that. But it's been uh, an incredible ride. I have only been with the organization now for four months, five months. Um, So uh, I've been learning as much as I can from this man. And it's been it's been really interesting because he goes into the deep end quickly. Um, And it's not
3: always a good thing, by the way. (laughs) Let me jump in, because I I think one of the reasons this is the first time Aaron and I have ever done one of these together, which is why I wanted to throw something in there. Right. Right. Aaron brings both a fresh perspective and a very well-seasoned perspective on privacy. And I think they're both important. And what do I mean by that? Um, he has had a lot of different responsibilities, but the one I, I really focus on is, is his time at the IAPP, right? The International Association of Privacy Professionals. And he was there early on in the very early days when they were certifying, right? And they only had, you know, a few members relatively, and they become a real force. Well, that the force that IAPP has become is, is reflective of the increasing, not just relevance, but importance of privacy, right, to global data industries. And so he, he has seen that maturation. And I think that's where both his perspective and mine now have a good intersection, which is policies, procedures, treaties, all have one thing in common. They're analog and they're words. And they don't prevent anything bad from happening, Mm. right? What it gives you is an after the fact, oops, who can I go after? And and I think we're at the point now where technology that can prevent bad things from happening, okay, which has been around for a while, is actually critical. And so you're at this, this shift where privacy professionals, both legal as well as engineering, more technical professionals are actually at the center of this stuff now, and so mm-hmm. I, I think the, the the freshness with which Aaron comes to these situations is really healthy for me because I've just been doing this too long, right? And and what I mean by that is there needs to be new mindsets and perspectives because this is really a big shift, and and so that's why I think Aaron is is a great complement to to my background.
2: Yeah, we we do play well together. The, um... It's really, it, Gary's a very intelligent man, and he goes into the deep end very quickly. And, and I, being, yes, I have been at the IAPP, I've been in privacy 11 years now. Um, but, you know, as a, as a generalist, as a, you know, you know, talking cookie consent here and talking, um, you know, d- different legal actions, but nothing as deep as what we're doing at Ananos and, and what he has been deeply involved in for the past decade.
1: Let's start let's start pressing right on that through the lens of the following question. What's the problem that you are solving for at Anonymous?
3: It's it's getting approval to use your data. It's getting approval to use your data in a time frame when the data is still relevant. Right? You you look at the increasing variety of data, volumes of data, right? And 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 the complexity of the different laws, and you're going to your privacy department saying, hey, can I use my data for this purpose? Good luck, right? It may take six months or more for them to get back to you, at which point is that data even still fresh? Is it relevant? Do you have something else, right? So the reality is protecting data when it is in computation, right? During use actually enables you to accelerate approvals Because you can build building blocks that privacy and legal can say, yeah, look, we signed off on this before because we know the data is going to be protected in this way. So you can go ahead and do it. We've already signed off on this. Or, well, this is a little different than the one we signed off on. Let's look at how it's different. It's literally basic, okay, automation. You're taking people's subject matter expertise. You're building building blocks that enforce those perspectives, rules, whatever it is, and you're allowing them to combine them to actually affect predictable, verifiable, auditable compliance. Without that, this industry will not continue to succeed. It's too much too fast to do manually. And,
2: and to take on from what Gary said, if, for example, clinical data, you can anonymize it, but it's not going to be useful. I mean, there's, there's, there's that whole sort of balancing act of useful utility and protection.
1: You added, gentlemen, a, a lens that I, I certainly have not heard anyone articulate in the past. The approval. Yep, check heard that. While it's still relevant, I've not heard that part of it before, and so I can I can kind of reason through what happens if you're trying to use data that isn't relevant. But walk me through the walk me through the the, the long path of of men. The data is relevant now, and it's not relevant then, and there's this big approval process. But for me, that's a black box. What's inside of that black box that's taken it so long for me to get my data?
3: Sure. Well, the reality is there's a lot of different permutations and variations and options. There's just so much variety that the legal team, privacy team, has to otherwise go through, okay? Um, what you need to do is you need to automate that. And a lot of this was accelerated by the pandemic, right? We had to look at data and react quickly. One to save lives, okay. Um, but, but just as you know, important or perhaps not as important, but still important is to adjust people's changing buying patterns, people's different changing information use patterns. All of a sudden, people work, people are working from home, so w- where is that data? Where's the security? Where's the privacy? Um, all of a sudden, now people are doing more research online and just buy. I mean, the, the pandemic changed a lot, and right. if you didn't if you didn't have insight from in those changes in real time, you could be out of business. And as a result of that, the uh, the digital transformation of companies has been accelerated, and, and it's now survival. So what we do at Ananos, okay, is um, maybe the best way to explain is with an example, right? A digital twin is a digital representation of a person, place, or thing. And I think it's important to say person, place, or thing because what we're talking about applies to trade secrets as much as it applies to personal data and privacy. But we'll focus on privacy. Digital twin is an amazing thing. With a digital twin, you can do any kind of processing. Technologically, what are you allowed to do legally, All right? Mm-hmm. What are you allowed to do contractually? What do your partners want you to do? What is your customer base going to think is way out of line? It's those parameters that legal and privacy have to get comfortable with before they can say yes. Okay, and security as well and governance. So it's a near impossible task to ask them to look at this incredible, unlimited array of things that could influence whether you can use this data or not, and then come back to you in a timely responsive way. Because guess what? There's 20 people behind you in line. So what you need to do is you need to give them technology. In our instance, we have what we call privacy transformers. We have roughly 30 of those. And you can build those transformers, stack them, put one beside the other, however you want to do it. And as a result of how that data is transformed, you get a use case specific protected output that we call a variant twin. So a variation of the original digital twin with the controls are embedded into the data. The data cannot be misused. Privacy, security, governance can sign off because until you come back to them and ask for change, they know the data is going to be compliant. Now you can complete your review faster because you're basically, you know, remember the Model T, right? You know, you're automating functions and processes that are recurring in nature, and you're only focusing your subject matter expertise on the exceptions. It has to be done.
0: Gary, What what is the difference between that and encrypting a file?
3: Sure. Great question. Thank you. I, almost like a setup. I got my soft already. Um, <laughs> encryption protects data when it when at rest. Okay, you're sleeping, mm-hmm. and when in transit, when you're off to go wherever you're going, both of which are important. Right. But did you collect the data so that you could store it and ship it around? No. Both the storage and the shipping is so that ultimately you can use it. The uh, our biggest competition is clear text. People (laughs) process clear text. And it's very efficient to process clear text, but it's oftentimes illegal and even more so dangerous because when a hack occurs or a ransomware attack, the problem is that that perpetrator has acquired your clear text, right? If rather you're processing a protected form of data that still gives you the information value and the results you want, requires another step to link back to identity, you've really reduced the surface area for attack. And, and that's what we're talking about, de-risking data in use. And so encryption's important, but encryption is when you're waiting to open the door and encryption is when you open and shut the door. It's not what happens between those two.
0: Yeah, and, and sorry, Gabe, I know you had something, but the reason why that question sparked up to me is because of your explanation of how you guys create that on your side because it sounds very similar to when you encrypt a file, obviously it's creating a brand new file. It's not the same original file, right?
3: Correct, but it's not it's not a new file for use, right? Got it. And, and so there are ways you go about that that has more yeah. to do with data science, right? Which is, you know, is this categorical data? Is, is this a string? Is this, you know, and, and those are the steps that you take. And by taking different or applying different transformers to protect different elements of the data because the uniqueness or specifics of the use case,
1: it's still processable.
0: Mm. Very cool.
1: What do I as a member of that cohort, right someone who might exist inside of that data set, what do I have as an assurance that when they come to, when someone comes to Gary, when my help provider comes to Gary how do i how do I feel assured that the the thing that you are doing for them? I no longer have to worry as much because we're reducing risk and not eliminating as much about my data maybe being used in other ways, right? Like, I assume that consent goes all the way down to, say, to me, right? So how do we link consent in this case all the way back to that, that technology execution? I think you articulated well the the at-rest versus the in-use, the processing. So, like, as I understand where as a business this might be great, but I like to get selfish on this show and, and, and kind of give a voice to the people that privacy matters to, And I am that person that does business with health organization A. What's my guarantee? How do I even know? Like, I walk in and out of the the, the organization like, is that even a thing that I will know about, don't know about? I'm trying to connect it to wanting to feel more empowered as someone who's legitimately worried about their own privacy and as some way to connect that to the activities of, of my choice. I want to say be able to choose. I'm going to go to Liberty Medical as opposed to downstream medical. I'm making it up. I don't know if, if those names are, are a coincidence to any real organizations that that, that is that is purely.
3: <laughs> the lawyers have told us we have to give a disclaimer at this point. in time.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so
3: I want to make a distinction here. Um, the first is Ananos is not a B2C privacy solution. OK, Ananos is a B2B privacy solution. And I'll speak to how we address the situation that that you just raised with the two, you know, health firms that are about to file suit. Um, But I want to hit the B2C point for a minute. There is a black box of reliance on consent, which is really a game that's not to the benefit of the individual. What do I mean by that? Consent is absolutely the most important element of privacy, but I think it's critical that you realize there are limitations to consent because one of two things are gonna happen at the extremes. Either you're not gonna get really sophisticated processing because I can't explain it so that you can actually understand it to approve it, because I don't even know it in advance. It's called artificial intelligence for a reason. Someone other than me and you figures out what we're doing, okay? So for you to consent to advanced analytics and artificial intelligence is, is either gonna dumb down the level of that processing so you can understand it, okay? Or it's making a mockery of consent because now you're going to give consent to something you don't fully understand. So my 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 only point in this is big believers in in the power of the individual for privacy. But that's got to be coupled with there needs to be a way to protect data for more advanced processing. That's where we step in. Okay, so now you're talking the B2B situation. And so our, our business clients have customers or patients. And so it's highly relevant. And really what you're doing is you're taking a step back in time. To the data steward. If you remember, there was a time where your doctor had your data—maybe not you guys, but me. Your doctor had your data, and you didn't worry about it because it was in his file cabinet. Your broker had your data, but you didn't worry because it was in his file cabinet. Each of the different parties that you dealt with had your data, but you trusted them because they weren't doing anything but putting it in the file cabinet. And the only time they used is when the, you had a use for it. What's happened is digitization of this data has allowed this data to transfer between all these spots, right? So when you go to CVS Pharmacy and pick up, uh, that is now tied into your doctor, which isn't tied into your insurance company. It's tied. And so the reality is, you need to be able to trust who are those parties that you are willing you to, are make to make these decisions for you. for you. Okay. Okay. And that's why, and the, that's why these variant twins that's is so important because what happens, and you can technologically prove this you can prove that the only party who's got the ability to reverse a variant twin to identify the cohort in which you're a member is someone that you trust. And so you're, you're, the technical controls allow the individual to have a say as to who has the right and ability to relink to their identity. Does, does that help? It does. It does quite a bit. Um,
0: I was actually, I'm going to take, take a question to Aaron. Oh, well, this can go to both of you, but um, I'll pick on Aaron right now.
3: I, that's always what I do.
0: So, I mean, it's a pretty simple question, but, uh, you know, privacy is important to me because why? Personally.
2: Right, you want me to answer that question as as me personally? Um, yeah. Well, that's a really funny question. Um, because uh, when I first started in privacy, people were like, you're doing what? <laughs> yeah? Like, seriously? And I remember, uh, gosh, maybe eight years ago, privacy kind of came up, and there were a couple of senators like, I've got nothing to hide. And, of course, we all know senators have plenty to hide. But my brother took me aside, and he's an older brother, and he likes to, you know, beat me up. And uh, he said, I've got nothing to hide. You know, there's not, it's not a big deal. There's, you know, whatever. You, you, I don't know how you're making your money. And I said, okay, well, I tell you what, Bill, I'm going to publish – on two dozen websites where your daughter stands for the bus at what time. And he completely changed. He was like, okay, I get it. I understand, <laughs> you know, but now like even at a cocktail party, it's not that I go to many of them, it just people out to dinner. Like we, they ask what I do. I explain that I'm in privacy. They dig very, you know, shallow, like well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, you know, think about your information. Think about um, you know, cookie consent or are these banners that are making you annoyed or, or that sort of thing. And they start asking tons of questions. You know, I have probably told at this point in my life two to three hundred people about freezing their credit. Mm-hmm. Right? So privacy to me is something I happen to fall into because I answered an ad in a local paper. Uh, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and uh, has become something of a career choice where I feel like I'm doing good for people, you know. And and so infrequently I feel as a sales guy uh, in the software industry that you can honestly say that I'm I'm doing something for the greater good of humanity. So I think it's probably a long-winded answer for you, but it was. It, it's one of those things that you know I was. At the IIPP, it's a nonprofit, so you're like, "Oh, obviously, we're doing good. We're a nonprofit." But to be honest, with this organization and what we can accomplish, I feel like we're doing even more good—the mm-hmm. greater
0: good.
3: And yeah, this is why Aaron is a, is a better person than I. <laughs> <laughs> because seriously, the reason we started Ananos had nothing to do with privacy or security. Mm-hmm. It had to do with how do you maximize the long-term value of data. And if you, if you look at that situation and you ask me a question about Gabe, okay, um, what does he like to eat for breakfast on Saturday? Very specific question. And I take a bucket, which is the digital twin of Dave, Gabe, that has all the information about him and I hand that to you, Cameron, right? You can get the answer to the question that you want from that bucket without question. But when you want to know whether he uh, prefers high tops or low sneakers, whatever, the answer's already in the bucket you have, okay? You have no reason to come back to me to pay me again for information about Gabe because you have a bucket of all of his data. And if the only thing that's keeping you from going back in the bucket to find out you know, where he went to high school and whether he went to the senior prom is the fact that my contract with you says you can only use this data to know what he eats for breakfast Saturday morning, How many people actually are not going to violate that contract because no one's going to know? So the original idea behind Ananos was, is there a way to selectively control access to and use of data in a way that allows both parties to get exactly what they wanted, no more? Because the one party didn't pay for what he got in addition, and it's actually an information surplus, which is a liability because what if that data is misused? So, it just so happens when you spend 11 years working on something, you find a way that works. Okay. And so, by selectively revealing different data at different times for different purposes, and not just on off, right? You know, on off could be whether or not Gabe graduated high school. Okay. That's just yes or no. But okay. another one would be, well, it actually only took him three years. Okay. You know, so it's not only selective access, it's also selective disclosure. When you can do that, You have maximized the value of the data, the opportunity to monetize that data. And the irony is the way you did it is by improving security and privacy to the point that it's mathematically provable. And so it's a lot easier to sell software to a company to show them that they can make more money from it while protecting privacy and security. Okay. Oh, and by the way, I can accelerate how quickly you can get approval to use your data than it is to have a humanitarian discussion with them, unfortunately.
1: What problem do you think Anano solves for 12 years from now? You've been solving this problem that long. Well,
3: oh, let me take that one. Let me take that one. Go for it, Aaron. It's going to be much better than mine.
2: So so one of the things that, that Gary has talked about that sort of blew my hair back was the idea of uh, monetizing data by, by creating these variant twins and putting it in a marketplace. Right? So, I don't know, toll data or, uh, you know, the number of cars that go through or the kind of cars that go through or, you know, what states are going through the New Hampshire state tolls or, you know, uh liquor store information like, you know, what kind of booze is bought at this kind of year or that kind of like those that sort of data that you could commoditize and put on the open market for sale because it's been de risked de-identified. I find, and then that this is one of the ideas that, that, you know, Gary has, as, you know, as an entrepreneur and a visionary has put out there. And that, I just think that's an amazing opportunity. Um, You know, the idea of all these different data sources that may or may not be related that you can do some really amazing work with, and you could just buy that little snippet of information.
1: I know, again, it's not B2B, but a B2C, but, but I promise you, Every one of us are at the receiving end of all of this technology, one way or the other. Right? Like every B has C's inside of it, really. Right? Like B's are comprised of C's, either way you 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 slice it. And so th- there's there's still a part of me that's that's trying to get this down to the ground floor. of, I love this. I really love where it's going so much. I love that vision for the problem that you're solving. That I find myself as someone who's very concerned about privacy, thinking, huh, maybe that would allow me to experience certain other technological transformations that I otherwise am avoiding. If I say could do that in a safe way, what do I mean? I do not want to put my digital self into anyone's metaverse. Full stop. Period. I don't freaking mm-hmm. want to. You can't get me there. There, there are no signs that you could put up out front that will flash enough of anything that will go, Ooh, I want to, I want to see what you got there. But, but I might be willing to project the representation of myself into that location such that I can understand it without giving too much away from myself. I'm not suggesting you do anything C wise here. I'm just, I'm trying to really again, connect to the ground floor of I'm a consumer, Like I am the person that, that privacy impacts. Yes. The bees have their own security and somewhat privacy challenges. They have more confidentiality challenges than they have privacy challenges, but ultimately that P the big P comes down to, to the five of us here. Right? Like, and, and that's, that's, that's what I want to, that's what I wanted to pound on more though. Um, is there a world where that could happen? Is there a world where, where Gary and team can allow Absolutely. me to experience digital experiences that as a human being that I am otherwise very averse to, like is that a world I can live in? And, and it, it it's
3: actually a great way of highlighting the difference between a variant twin and a digital twin, okay? Let's say that there's four different metaverse experiences you're interested in, okay? I'm not going to go what
1: they are. We could assume that at least one of them is a little NSFW, right? Like, let's just let's just assume one of them is holy say for.
3: Okay, so the re- the reality is, okay, the version of yourself that you should insert into each of these different metaverse choice of
1: uh, phrasing, but go on,
3: Could <laughs> include only the minimum information needed for you to have the experience without revealing yeah. who you are. Okay. and if you went into four different metaverse experiences there should be no way to correlate each of your variant twins in each of those back to who you are. are that's right that's the difference between a variant twin so it's literally there's words like data minimization, purpose limitation, data protection by design and by default, right? People don't really do them very often, but if the variant twin includes only the minimal data needed and it's not linkable or correlated to other variant twins that you represent, you are a very complex person, okay? You, you have interests and experiences and backgrounds and aspirations that put you in an unlimited number of cohorts, right? why not experience each of those cohort experiences as a separate yeah. variant twin and you decide when they get... I the want
1: product. this world. I want this world. I want to live in this world because as I've been talking to you, for the, you both from the top of this, I was trying to, as humans do, trying to put you into a bucket, right, like categorically. And and it's like, ah, oh, that sounds like a privacy enhancing technology. But it doesn't. It sounds like it's more than just enhancing privacy, which is to say it is it is almost allowing it in some ways because in the example I gave you, there was no privacy to be enhanced. There was... In fact, zero privacy. And I don't know that going from zero to one is an enhancement in my world, right? Like going from one to plus N is an enhancement. But going from zero to one is not an enhancement. We call those things innovations, right? Like the, de- depending on what world you might live in, zero to one is not so much an enhancement. And so I, I struggled mentally to put you into the privacy enhancing technology category. But your variant twin scenario really gets me to to one more question, and then, then I'll let my, my co-host jump back in here. I want to read more about variant twins, but more importantly, we we, we host a um, host a, a GitHub with a whole bunch of pr- of uh, privacy engineering tools. Um, if I were not me and having this conversation with you, what might I read to learn more about that? And I'm not talking for you like, hey, go check out this this you know marketing link. Like, I want to understand more about how I do get to live in a world like this.
3: Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm going to disappoint you because I'm still going to send you to the website. Um, no, but the reason is we literally have invested 11 years. You could spend the next six months uninterrupted just reading stuff that we have. And so I'm not saying that to throw a bunch of garbage at you, but th- there are iterations of what we've worked through because real innovation is not just something where you right. go from zero to one. Real innovation is where you try to go from zero to five and realize it's important. So you go to zero to two and a half and then from two and a half to eight, you have to have both successes and failures and you have to iterate. And we have spent a ton of time doing this. And we actually now have with the help of people like Aaron, who can speak a lot simpler than I can, because I dive into the deep end. Right? <laughs> yeah, but, but no, we have, we in fact have th- that information. Um, and I look I want to to introduce a word. This is not a commercial for Gartner, but they did a really good job here. They coined PEC for Privacy Enhancing Computation. And if you Google it or use any other search that you'd like, DuckDuckGo, whatever your preference is, right, Um, that the reality is Privacy Enhancing Computation is, is projected by Gartner to be one of the top five privacy innovations through 2024. What the heck is it? It is a subset of PET that protects data in untrusted environments defined as environments over which you do not exert 100% control. The examples they give are cloud processing. A few companies do that, right? Multi-party analytics, multi-party data sharing. Each of those situations involve more than one party. And if you're just relying on paper and words to protect yourself, good luck. If you're going to go into the metaverse because the terms and service say they won't misuse it, <laughs> right, good luck, right? So what you're doing is you're protecting data when in use in an untrusted environment defined as one that you don't have complete control over. So I think PEC is a more relevant term for what we're talking about than PET.
1: But now I feel extra seen because if the the, the awesome privacy engineering GitHub page that does that, that, uh, there I have no literature on PECs. I, I now feel behind that curve. So I'm going to, equally, I'm going to, yeah, sure. I'm going to equally challenge you to, I'm going to go to the site and then I'm going to challenge you to maybe, maybe you, you help me identify one or two assets that we can link back into that awesome engineering. GitHub uh, 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 you know, that that we can actually point back to, um, because maybe we do need to update and, and expand that to include PECs. Today, it only includes a very long list of of not just the PTs themselves, but there are a lot of resources to understand PETs. And I can tell you that from where I sit as as a technologist and, and someone who cares deeply about privacy, both Cam and I, we, we hadn't really encountered much more on that topic. So thank you for that.
3: That's That's why we're here. That's awesome.
0: I have a, I have two more questions I would be respectful of your time. Um the first one is with the challenges that you help solve today, what do you predict your biggest challenge is going to be um for 2023 and 2024? Do you do you think that it's going to be harder because of the way that privacy is kind of shifting in the world or do you think it's actually going to help you guys? What do you think that that's going to go? I
2: think it's a, I'll, Gary, I'll take I think it's a double-edged sword here. So I think the first part is that privacy people are not technologists, mm-hmm. right? So, and the other thing, and, and this is purely speaking as a 10-year a veteran in privacy sales, nobody in privacy has any money. Nobody in compliance really has any money. All the money is yeah. sitting in security and IT department. So then all of a sudden, you've got to start talking technology to people that don't understand privacy. But the privacy people and the compliance people have a massive stake in this. So they need to figure out they need to become more technology under uh, literate um, while the technologists need to become more privacy and compliance literate because they're the mm-hmm. ones that are going to be signing the checks. So the nice thing is, is that as you guys, everyone will admit here, we're seeing a blend yeah. of the yeah. two, right? Yep. We're, seeing, we're seeing privacy, compliance, and technology growing yep. together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think our near-term challenge as an organization is getting the privacy people to understand what we're doing to be the, the champion, if you will, to get um, in front of or to the technologists and the data, data brokers, the people in charge of the data, um, so that we can have right. that conversation.
3: And, like, and I would say
2: people's eyes gloss over
3: very quickly. So, so, so I, it, it's not even, they don't even have to become the champion. They just have to not be the blocker. Because what we're talking about, it, you guys you are experts in this space, and you have a whole raft of PET and you hadn't heard of PEC, right? What we're talking about is not common knowledge. Um, and so you have to get the privacy people comfortable with the validity of it. Right, that they can stake their reputations mm-hmm. on it. And then once they get to the point, and that's where our grounding in the law is very important. Okay, we are a technical solution to a legal challenge to achieving business results. Okay. And so I have three different groups that I have to talk to. But but the thing I would say is I believe PECs, so I'm not gonna just limit it to our company. I believe PECs, when done correctly, actually represent a vocabulary for privacy. What do I mean? In order to communicate, you start with an alphabet, right? Without knowing what the letters are that you're going to arrange in different arrangements to speak and say different things, there's no way that we can communicate. What we do and what PECs enable are self-enforcing modules that start to create a privacy alphabet. And so now the privacy people can say, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen these six together before. This is a little different. Let's just use five and let's look at this one over here, right? They have to understand the law that underpins it. They have to be comfortable that it's supportable. They have to understand and approve that the statute will actually allow it to happen, right? Because they're about mitigating risk. But I think without what we're talking about here, the privacy profession becomes unmanageable very quickly.
0: We
2: need Rosetta
3: Stone.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's um it's incredible. Um just uh th- that's one of the reasons why Gabe and I actually started the show back in uh gosh, it was the start of the pandemic, twenty twenty. Right. Um because of that that merge of security and privacy and the intersection as we like to call it. Um it's fascinating because I think a lot of companies you saw you saw a profound amount of companies coming out declaring that they're a privacy company, um, especially in the the software space, which, which was interesting because I bet that there was a lot of challenges to actually solving problems that they wanted to actually solve. I think it was just because it was so new and hot at the time, but it's incredible where we've grown from that point. Don't you think
3: the reality is um, we had to do that, right? There was, Data inventory assessments now that just flows off the tongue. People didn't know where mm-hmm. the data was, where it came from, how I mean, there was a lot of cleanup work, a lot of documentation that had to be done. Right. And and there's been significant investments and I think really good progress in all those areas. Now we're getting to the point where, okay, now I know what I have, where it came from, and what I'm supposed to or not supposed to do with it, but I have someone in my organization who has a bigger budget than I do who's trying to make value out of it. If right. I can stand in their way. Or am I going to accelerate it? And, and the best thing is once we get the privacy people over the authenticity of what we do and knowing they can rely on it, they can go to their colleagues who have much bigger, bigger budget and say, what if I could deliver you the insights you want instead of six months, six hours, right? Yeah. What, what if I can approve more of your projects and faster? Is that something you're interested in? The answer is yes. Yeah. You can tap into <laughs> that budget because now you're enabling them to deliver to the C-suite. That's a great point.
2: And maybe it's, even generate more revenue.
0: Yes.
3: I mean, what, yeah. if,
2: what if we, you know, the privacy office, again, doesn't have any, any money. And what if they could help create value out of the information that's sitting in their data sources?
0: Yep. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, this might be a little off topic, but the thing that the common thing that I seem to run into um, is a lot of people are starting to really worry about DSARS, um, which is obviously because of CCPA and CPRA and, and, and that, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that actually plays out and how employees will actually react and to actually take action on, on wanting to know what data a company has on them. Um, I, I think it's going to be a couple of years until it actually starts to really show itself, but it's very fascinating to see how rapid this little like area of privacy and security and how, there's just so much value that companies can bring to it. I just love the fact that you guys are are taking advantage of that in a, in a positive way. Um, so hats yeah. off to you guys.
2: DSR well, was a big, you know, big thing, right? You got Yeah. And and it, and that was where why there's so many now data discovery tools out there because mm-hmm. DSR was like, "Oh no, we're going to DSR." And then they get like three a month. Well, right. You know, on the other side of that, like it was taken one person you know, a whole week to do one DSAR. So, you know, now they've got, they know where their data is. And, and this is, this is what, you know, I've said to Gary a couple of times. So we had consent and cookie consent and, and now DSAR. And so we're doing data discovery. So now you know where your data is. Now what? Mm -hmm. Great. What are you going to do? And so, you know, I think, and, and this is, you know, I've been drinking from the fire hose and the Kool-Aid, but, I think that that Anonymous is the next logical step. Let's figure out a way to lock it up, make it so it's usable in, in process. And right. the other thing we haven't touched on that I think that is really important that we run into all the time are these awesome companies that will take their production data and put it in test and development.
1: Mm.
3: <laughs> Those are my favorite no way to do so. Right? Exactly. It, it's. I really do think. It's the simple idea, at least to me it's simple, right, of s- slices of data that deliver only what you need and no more. Mm-hmm. Make both parties happy, don't have risk. I'm going to throw something out. There's a time bomb for you. The d are, are the pin to the grenade. The data subject access request is not what's problematic. What's yeah. problematic is when they exercise the right to say delete that data.
0: Mm-hmm. Because it's now- permanent.
3: Right, now day by day, what data set are you running off of, right? What's right. your obligation to delete all prior versions of that data? How many of your partners did you share that data with? So if you adopt this idea of modular versions that have different levels of data, the CCPA, the CPRA, the GDPR, they all provide that if what you're processing is a non-reidentifiable version of data, it's not subject to the deletion request. But you have to prove it. You can't just claim it. Yeah. And and so to me, you know, as I said, the beginning of the company was how do you maximize value of data? You do so with selective access to data. But in doing so, if someone exercises a DSAR, now they know what they have. They have every right Mm -hmm. to say delete all of these identifying versions. But if you've done it right, they do not actually have the legal right to say delete that non-identifying version if you can prove to me you can't re-identify. And so now you saved value for the company, as well as great point preserving privacy for the individual.
0: Yeah. And and to add to that, uh, I think, I don't know if from your guys' experience, but what I've seen is uh, over the years that the maturity of companies and the people they have in place and actually the ones that actually get it, the the decision makers that get the, the idea of that this isn't a checkbox, this isn't mm-hmm. something that I just go and do because of this. They actually are, they're more curious. They're more, Open to finding that value long term, not just well. We scanned everything, so we're good for the audit this year. Okay, well, what about every single day after that, when you have new and new data coming in and out and being moved? And uh, it just—it's fascinating that uh, that you know there's still those companies out there that are kind of doing the easy thing. But um, I think it's 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 nice to see that it's finally growing into a mature um state at least but um anyways um i know we're we're over time do you guys have a few minutes for a few fun questions sure
2: fun questions
0: all right yeah oh yeah well you know it is it is privacy please but um at the end of our show we like to get a little private (laughs) Uh, yeah So uh, we'll go ahead and kick it off. This is one of my favorite questions um, and whichever wants to go first, but uh, do you have a application on your, your phone that you have to use almost every single day, but you absolutely dislike, you're just super annoyed with it? Hmm.
3: I don't, I have way too many that I don't use, but that's a different (laughs) question, right? Um, Those that I do use, right. Those that I do use, you know, Work well for what I intend them to be.
2: Terror. My Fitbit app reminds me that I need to get up and move at, you know, <laughs> for the hour. That's, that's, that, that's on, not on a
3: failing of... of the app. That's a failing <laughs> of. <you.
0: laughs> hey, man, get one of those. Uh, if you're at your desk a lot, get those little, there's like a cheap little, probably 300 bucks, little walking treadmill you can put underneath the standing desk.
1: That but could can be super helpful.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and you got to stand. But it's. it's totally uh, I don't know. I'm. I'm. An, I'm. I'm thinking about investing in that because I try to get a good walking. And walking is super underrated um, as a form of exercise. People, you don't have to go run. If you walk, you're going to actually. It's better for your body. I mean, running you can get more distance in, in in a faster time. But walking is just so key that people just don't it's just overlook.
3: Right. Walking, yeah. It's sustainable. You can right. go and run and great and, and get this great high and then pull a muscle and you're not doing anything. That's exactly. Big problem, right? My biggest problem is pacing myself, not mm-hmm. in running, but even just working out, realizing, you know, it's a long term game. It's not a short term and you want to c- increase what you're doing, but in a way that you don't get set back for a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um. So for both of you, cake or pie? Oh, pie, pie. Pi Day is
1: coming wow.
2: tomorrow. Isn't Pi Day
0: tomorrow? Is it? That's I thought Friday it was yesterday. <laughs> it's actually what? International Pi Day? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, 314. Oh, wow. Come on. Damn. Seriously? This guy knows All right, pi- know. I, I didn't know.
3: I'm I just learned. That. PEC was important. Now it's <laughs>
2: yeah. PIE. More important. Yeah, PIE. P-I-E. Three, you know, I, I'm sure May the 4th is... Something you guys know, right? Yes, you got of it.
0: course. Okay,
2: yes. yeah, Pi Day, 3.14, 3.14. Come on!
0: All right, okay. I didn't know. I'm really I impressed, Aaron. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I usually I usually only eat pie like around the holidays. That's when I really love to indulge in it. But
2: now I me. will say one of the nice perks at the IAPP was that uh, that Trevor would buy a pie for everyone on staff on three point one on three Is on that 6.1? right? They all get a pie.
3: A full pie, a
2: little pie? No, a full, not a table talk, little slap your face in, but like a full, it's a place called Fogarty's. It's really close to where I live and they have awesome pies. Like, you know, chocolate cream pie, key lime pie, all these different kinds of uh, berry pies, good stuff. So
3: yeah, tomorrow you should eat pie. I am impressed. I am I'm a better person. Now. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody's a better person. Hey, now. Right. Right. <laughs> so since you say
0: May the 4th, um, how about uh, Godfather or Star Wars? Star Wars. Oh, gosh.
3: Uh, I'll, You just oh, your gosh. pie advancement just weighed out <laughs> well, real quick. On.
2: I mean, it depends on which Godfather, I guess. Right. Like Rocky or Rocky Two. Like, you know, um, Fair. I mean, Star Wars. Right.
3: Like,
0: Yeah. I I should have said Star Trek or Star Wars. That's actually a better, uh, I think, comparison.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So so to me, the difference is the Godfather, while it may have given you insight and visibility into another part of our world, did not introduce you to a new world. Mm. And to me, that's what's powerful about both Star Wars and Star Trek, but Star Trek did it at a seventh grade level and Star Wars went up to, you know, freshman of college
0: so ha, ha, i'm i'm a huge fan I, I i i wasn't a big fan of the originals growing up because i was a lot younger i you know i'm i'm 30 uh, almost 35 but i um i actually uh, love
2: i gotta switch yeah,
0: I, <laughs> I uh i absolutely love the mandalorian series oh, i think yeah. it's phenomenal it's been so it's been so cool and and i'm a huge fan of the the main guy that plays mandalorian himself but uh Anyways, I digress.
2: I felt like Andor has been the best one so far, though.
0: I've heard it, that was phenomenal, so I need to still watch that. Yeah. Um, and let me get uh, one more for you guys. This is a little personal, but uh, in your house, there's only one right answer on this. Um, but how do you guys have your, your toilet paper on the roll? Is it pull from <laughs> the bottom or pull from the top? No, it's the right
3: way, on the
2: top. <laughs> it's All cool. right. You can't make that little fold when you have guests over, right?
0: Exactly. So... Hotels do that because that's the right way. <laughs> they can't fold it the other way. All right. right, You guys are good people. I like it. Okay.
2: Well, <laughs> so I guess at the end of this conversation, if there's any takeaway you should keep in mind, is have pie tomorrow because, you
0: know, that's I, you won't let the pie go. Okay. What's your favorite? What kind of pie are you going to have?
2: Uh, my favorite pie is uh, lemon meringue pie, but I probably won't have that.
0: Okay. Have you ever had? I don't know what it's called, but it's an Italian pie that's made with um, um. It's like a chocolate Italian pie. It's a um, hazelnut. Oh wow! It's phenomenal. I um, I don't remember the name of it, but it's one of the, one of my favorites. Well,
3: if Just you think of it, the... we still have what, like you know, ten hours. Let <laughs> us know so we can go out and buy it for Friday.
0: I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. All right. W- when I tag you guys for the episode, I'll I'll, I'll let you know. Fair enough. Um, but seriously, Aaron, Gary, thank you so much for your time Pleasure. today. Um, I know the guests are going to love this one. So um, appreciate you guys, and I hope uh, you continue to do the work you're doing. You guys are doing great work. All uh, right. Just in, in passing,
3: in I feel like compelled to say, "May the pie be with you." Oh,
0: man, right there. That's a good sign off, right there. I think we got to end with that. That's how we have to end it. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Take Bye. care. Bye. Hey, you guys made it all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again, if this is your first time, we really appreciate the support and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting Privacy, Please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy, over and out.